Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. All right, so in your bulletins, we're going to read two different passages, actually. So the first one's going to be Matthew 4, 8 through 10. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. Um, We also have Bibles in the back as well um, for those of you who are guests today or don't have a Bible of your own. Okay, so Matthew 4, 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I, I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now we're going to read Matthew 8, 28 through 34. When he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarens, two demonics coming out of the tombs met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What have you to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them. The demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine, and suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swineherds ran off, and on going into the town, they told the whole story about what had happened to the demonics. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. Here is the reading of God's word. Thank you so much, Naomi, for reading and for praying for Bryce. And thank you, Bryce, for sharing your story. That is an act of courage, boldness, one might say. Get it? Bold. (laughs) Y'all. I know it's daylight savings, and we've all lost an hour of sleep. And then Brittany decided, I'm going to give this to Jarrell. So I, can <laughs> so I need your prayers, but you all pray with me this morning. God of grace, God of love, God of power, God of glory, come visit us in this space. Fill us with your presence, with your peace, and with an extra jolt of energy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I think, see, Enoch got the energy. <laughs> Anytime demons or Satan pop up in the Bible, I think it's important to uh, address them 
and to frame the, the context of the story in which we are experiencing. So we have this story, it starts out, Jesus is brought to this tall mountain, Satan shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and tells him that if you just bow down and worship me, all you have to do is one time, I'm going to give you the kingdoms of the world. And then we have this other story where there are demon-possessed men standing on the side of the road and they're so ferocious and so fierce that they scare people away from this road. And then Jesus shows up, casts these demons out, throws them into a herd of swine, and they run off into the water and end up drowning to death. Uh, light text for this morning, right? <laughs> the, so the story with Jesus and Satan I find to be really interesting. Because anytime a mountain comes up, or anytime a wilderness comes up, there's always another story in the Bible that it correlates with. For me, this idea of being brought up to the mountain takes me back to Exodus chapter 32. This is after the children of Israel have been enslaved for hundreds of years. Moses shows up, set my people free, Prince of Egypt. We've all seen that beautiful DreamWorks movie. Uh, he sets these people free, they roam, they get trapped. God parts the Red Sea, they pass through this water, come to the other side and end up at a mountain. And it's at this mountain where God gives them the Ten Commandments. But while God is giving these Ten Commandments to Moses, the people are getting bored and distracted. They've been waiting by themselves for seven whole days. And in these seven days, they decide that God has abandoned them. And they decide to create a new God to worship. Not the God that had led them out of slavery and set them free and delivered them through the Red Sea, but rather a piece of gold. They all gather together, they create a new God to protect them and worship, and then Moses comes down with these laws and is like, what is going on here? I find that story to be interesting because without even the tempter, without Satan showing up and promising to give them the kingdom of the world, they decide to turn away from the ways of God and to start doing things the way that they want to do them. And then we have these demoniacs, which we don't know their backstory or know how they got to the point where they were possessed by demons and how they got so ferocious that they scared the entire neighborhood. All we know is that they're there and that these demons know who Jesus is. They address him as the son of God. They beg him to have mercy on them and to let them go into these pigs. I'm not sure how familiar you all are with Jewish eating customs, but when Moses came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he also came down with a few other laws, a few hundred other laws. And some of those laws had to do with the way that people eat. And one of the things that's on the forbidden list of thou shalt not eat is pigs. Right? Are we all in the same place? We all kind of know that like Jewish people, Muslim people don't tend to eat bacon or other pork products. Yet here we are in a Jewish town and they're raising pigs. And Jesus kills all of these pigs by casting demons into them. People that see this respond in a way that I find to be interesting. They don't say, oh wow, this guy can cast demons out of people. Their response is, hey, will you leave our neighborhood, please? <laughs> and it kind of makes sense. It brings me back to uh, our own modern parallels. 
well, let's just use a hypothetical. Like hypothetically, someone shows up and says, you guys can sign up for this beautiful healthcare plan and all of your needs will be met. And if someone else showed up and said, instead of paying all of this, why don't you just pay your taxes and I'll take care of all of your healthcare needs. I imagine that people in a town would be very upset about that if the way that they make their money is off of insurance sales. Uh, in the same way that we have new insurance plans being offered by the government that some people show up and say, get out of our neighborhood, um, we have a complicated plan with Jesus showing up and ruining a business. The value of these pigs are placed above the value of the lives of these demoniacs. When they are healed, people don't celebrate their healing, but rather say, our source of income is gone. What are you doing, Jesus? They ask him to leave their neighborhood. And I wonder about these pigs. Why did they have to die? What did they do wrong? Is Jesus making a subtle commentary on the food that we eat? Is there a larger message about the evils of profiting off of things that we know God has forbidden us to do? What is the cost of our religious integrity? I think that there are a lot of important questions that we can ask from this text. But I'm brought back to the wilderness. Our theme of the sermon series has been where the wild things are, and we have been discussing wilderness. Brittany has spoken about us going into the wilderness and learning to do without via fasting. We learn about other spiritual practices. We will continue to keep learning. But I think that this sermon, this scripture, points us to examine the way we interact with the spiritual things in this world. When I was growing up, we called it spiritual warfare in my evangelical church. The idea that the forces of good and evil are battling via angels and demons, and that somehow humanity has to choose between right and wrong. And I don't know if this idea sounds outlandish to you, or if you have grown up in a similar sort of environment in which you've been exposed to this idea, but I do think that there's something to it. I think that every person is given an opportunity to choose between what is right and what is wrong. And I think it's powerful to name the way that there are spirits of violence. When the Jewish community is experiencing an epidemic of defacing their tombstones and their synagogues, when Muslim mosques are being defaced daily, the synagogue that houses a day school that I go to had to evacuate the day school because someone threatened them with a bomb. I think that there is a spirit of violence behind that, a spirit of hatred. And naming that, I think, gives us the power to address it. And there are more spirits that if we look at our society and look at the people who are being oppressed and othered, Spirits of misogyny that stop women from being treated equally as men. Spirits of ableism that empower people who aren't considered disabled to operate with privileges and perks that people who are considered disabled do not have. I think there are spirits of classism and racism 
and of homophobia that even stop people from experiencing the full life of congregations and churches. And I'm glad that we are a part of Urban Village that says that we will not invite the spirit of homophobia or transphobia into our space, that we are a church that will battle the spirit of racism and exclusion on the basis of people's backgrounds. But we know that our society regularly operates with these types of, I would dare to say, demonic mentalities that allow exclusion and oppression to thrive. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle isn't against enemies of blood and flesh, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And this text makes me wonder. It says that these forces of evil are in heavenly places, so they might be presented as good to us. And I wonder how that might be. How could we be tricked into believing something is good instead of believing that something is evil when it is? How can our societies be deceived into thinking that the best way to run is to be exclusionary of other people? As I said, I go to synagogue once a week on Wednesday at four o'clock, me and a group of elderly Jewish people sit around a table and we read Hebrew. We read the scriptures together. And every week, a random word will appear. Who knows what it is? Sometimes it could be something as simple as, is this a the or is it meant to be an and? And we will flip through dictionaries and concordances and we'll argue about the scripture for an hour. Mind you, we're only supposed to spend an hour together, so sometimes our verse reading really gets stopped halfway through. This week, we were reading Isaiah in chapter 6, which is my favorite passage of scripture. It's this beautiful scene. It's in the year that King Uzziah dies, and Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord seated on a throne, and he's high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and there is a group of creatures called seraphim that fly around and sing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, but they're called seraphim in Isaiah. And what's interesting is in this particular passage in chapter six, they're described as having wings and they fly around and they praise God. But in another chapter in Isaiah, the same group called seraphim are described as venomous snakes that go around and kill people. Two very different things. They're both given these seats in heavenly places and the only way you can tell the difference between the seraphim that praise God and the seraphim that kill people is the context that you read them in. And I wondered for myself, how are there ways in which I operate that I can be perceived as an angel to some people and perceived as a venomous snake to others? Am I living my life in a way that everyone who encounters me walks away singing, holy, holy, holy Lord, or do people leave feeling as if they have been bitten by a poisonous person? Is the way that I operate bringing glory to God, or is it pushing people away? 
I am a person that believes in symbols and the power of them. In this, recently, I decided to enact this symbol by getting a new tattoo. There is an anchor right here underneath the shirt, and my friend got the anchor too. And I say this because we've been friends for years, and we've been through a lot. There have been health scares, there have been deaths in our families, and our relationship has been an anchor that has helped us determine where it is God is leading us for the last seven years. I think that having anchors in our lives help us determine the spirits that are influencing us. When Urban Village says that you should sign up for small groups or invites you to go to Starting Point or tells you about doing spiritual practices, it's not to make us feel better about the way that we operate as a church, but rather is to give the gifts necessary, the tools needed to be anchored in what God is doing. Our communities, our small groups act like our anchor. And from there, we're able to judge how are we operating like the seraphim that sing God's praises? And how are we acting like the seraphim that kill people? We're able to weigh, am I wrestling with the demon of transphobia? Or am I struggling with the demon of racism? How am I struggling with the demon of sexism? Etc. Etc. If we don't have the anchors in our lives, we're not able to stand on solid ground and to determine the will of God for ourselves. Our push for small groups isn't to make our numbers look good, but it's rather to make the people in our seats look good, look like the reflection of the creator who made them to love others. We find ourselves in situations that feel like the wilderness, and it often feels like when we're in these places of loneliness that we're all alone. But we aren't. The gift of God can be found in the seats next to you. The anchor that you need for the hard times is the person that is walking through this faith journey alongside you. The person that will help you cast out the demons you're wrestling with <laughs> is not just Jesus Christ. But Jesus works through the people that sit alongside us. Jesus isn't just found in the preachers that get ordained. Jesus is found in the preachers that sit with us and drink coffee with us or go and get beers with us and watch the game. Jesus can be found in the person who sits and listens to us talk about our relationship or the struggles of managing children in the city or the struggles of being young and employed and trying to pay bills, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Facing our demons isn't about our own strength, but it's about the way that the Holy Spirit shapes us and forms us in the wilderness to do the difficult work of looking in the mirror and challenging the problems that we see. Only then can we turn that same mirror on the systems and institutions in the world. We have to do the work on ourselves before we go out and do the work in the streets. It's easy to challenge the sexism of our president. It's easy to challenge 
the greed of our Congress people, but if we aren't challenging the greed and the sexism and racism and homophobia and transphobia in ourselves, we don't have the ground to stand on to challenge that outside. We must wrestle and cast out the demons that oppress us so we can go out and cast them out in the world. And we don't do this work alone. We do it with the people next to us. We do it with accountability. Sometimes we're gonna get checked, like one of my favorite authors was checked this week for her transphobic comments about trans women. We have to keep being in a process where we allow ourselves to be challenged by others because it's only in those situations that we're able to grow and to fully reflect the goodness of God. It's in those situations that people will walk away from us saying, that was an angelic presence and not a poisonous viper. Our work isn't easy, but the way has already been laid out by the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that led Jesus Christ to the wilderness to be tempted is the same spirit that led the Jewish people through the wilderness, and it's the same spirit that led Philip to the wilderness to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch and to lead him to Christ. It's that same spirit who walks with us in the midst of the wilderness, giving us the power to challenge the demonic things in our world so that we can take authority and begin to cast out the demons of Islamophobia, of queerphobia, of misogyny, of racism and xenophobia and ableism, etc., etc., so that we can give glory to God and become fuller versions of ourselves. If you don't believe that you have been empowered, let me tell you, you have. God has given you the tools and the gifts you need. And if you don't feel like you have the tools and gifts, turn to your neighbor, because God can give them to you through the people next to you. Will you pray with me? God, we often feel as if this journey of faith is a solitary one, but you demonstrated even in your own life with the disciples, with your family, with the people you loved through Jesus Christ, that this is a journey best walked with other people. Give us the strength and the grace we need empower us to go forth, challenging the demonic things we encounter in ourselves and that we encounter in society. Give us the humility it requires to be vulnerable with our neighbors, with our neighbors in this space too, so that together we can become better reflections of your love and grace, that love that you demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his holy name. Amen.